Hello, everyone, and welcome to the October 3rd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Skern & Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Department of Justice announced that Vibra Healthcare, a national hospital chain, has agreed to a $32.7 million settlement to resolve claims that Vibra violated the False Claims Act by billing Medicare for medically unnecessary services. Vibra operates approximately 36 freestanding long-term care hospitals and inpatient rehabilitation facilities in 18 states. Its California facilities include Ballard Rehabilitation Hospital in San Bernardino, Kentfield Hospital in Marin County, Vibra Hospital of Sacramento, San Joaquin Valley Rehabilitation Hospital in Fresno, Vibra Hospital of Northern California in Redding, Vibra Hospital of San Diego, and Kenfield Hospital of San Francisco. Long-term care hospitals provide inpatient hospital services for patients whose medically complex conditions require long hospital stays and programs of care. Inpatient rehabilitation facilities are intended for patients needing rehabilitative services that require hospital-level care. The government alleged that Vibra admitted numerous patients to five of its long-term care hospitals and to one of its inpatient rehabilitation facilities who did not demonstrate signs or symptoms that would qualify them for admission. Moreover, Vibra allegedly extended the stays of its patients without regard to medical necessity, qualification, or quality of care. In some instances, Vibra allegedly ignored the recommendation of its own clinicians who deemed these patients ready for discharge. As part of the settlement, Vibra also agreed to enter into a chain-wide corporate integrity agreement with the Inspector General of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Part of the allegations resolved by this settlement were originally filed under the Key Tom or whistleblower provisions of the Federal False Claim Act by Sylvia Danielle, a former health information coder at Vibra Hospital of Southeastern Michigan. Ms. Danielle filed her suit in the Southern District of Texas, where one of Vibra's hospitals were located. Under the False Claims Act, a private party can file an action on behalf of the United States and receive a portion of the recovery. In this case, Ms. Danielle will receive at least $4 million. Since January 2009, the Justice Department has recovered a total of more than $30.7 billion through these False Claims Act cases. Medical provider fraud has become the national focus of attention in Workers' Compensation Claims Administration. Recovery efforts by the State Compensation Insurance Fund and others have been focused primarily on the physician who was the perpetrator of the scheme. Yet the physician perpetrator cannot act in an isolated environment. Others in the enterprise have to lend a hand in some way. So why are they not also held responsible? That was the question Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates answered in her landmark Yates memo. 
She proclaimed that Americans should never believe, even incorrectly, that one's criminal activity will go unpunished simply because it was committed on behalf of a corporation. Yates thus issued new guidance to Department of Justice attorneys outlining the importance of individual accountability in Department of Justice prosecutions. Now a medical billing company has been penalized by federal authorities for participating in a fraudulent scheme along with its client physician. In an unprecedented administrative action, HHS Office of the Inspector General penalized a medical billing company for preparing and submitting claims for diagnostic tests that were never conducted. The Office of Inspector General sent a letter to Susan Toy, the owner and operator of a New Jersey billing company, proposing to impose a civil monetary penalty and program exclusion on her pursuant to the Civil Monetary Penalties Law. In response, Toy entered into a $100,000 settlement agreement with the HHS Office of Attorney General and agreed to be excluded from participating in federal health care programs for a minimum of five years. The medical billing company was responsible for preparing and submitting claims to Medicare on behalf of an OBGYN practice based in part on super bills identifying the services purportedly performed during a patient encounter. The billing company routinely added additional CPT codes to some claims for unperformed services that the billing company knew were neither performed nor identified as performed on the super bill. It is important to note that billing companies have been subject to federal and state civil and criminal prosecution over their billing practices since the 1990s. However, this is the first time HHS Office of Inspector General has imposed administrative sanctions against a billing company. In announcing the settlement agreement, an HHS spokesman said that this first-of-its-kind penalty demonstrates that HHS expects compliance throughout the full range of federal health care program processes. And now our crime report. A former Santa Barbara police officer is headed to jail for felony workers' compensation fraud. 28-year-old Jacob Finnerty, who lives in Hesperia, entered a plea to four counts of fraud. Officer Finnerty claimed to have injured his back in an accident while he was employed with the Santa Barbara Police Department. He also claimed that he could not perform his usual and customary employment duties as a police officer due to his back injury. When the Santa Barbara Police Department investigated Finnerty's claims, it was discovered that he was seen on multiple occasions lifting heavy weights, engaging in strength competitions, and competing in wrestling events while claiming to be disabled. Many of those activities were captured on video and photographs and posted on social media. The deputy district attorney then filed the four felony counts against Officer Finnerty. Finnerty entered the plea to all charges, and there was no plea agreement. He was sentenced to 120 days in jail, placed on five years probation, and ordered to pay back more than $115,000 to the city of Santa Barbara. A federal jury in Los Angeles has convicted the owner of a medical clinic for his role in a health care fraud scheme and for filing false income tax returns. 
57-year-old Michael Hyun, who lives in Encino, was convicted of one count of conspiracy to commit health care fraud and 11 counts of filing false tax returns after a seven-day trial. He will be sentenced on January 30th. Evidence introduced at trial showed that Hyun was the office manager and part owner of MTP Medical Clinic located in Reseda. He provided false prescriptions to a licensed pharmacist and co-conspirator Farhad and Danny Sharim, who submitted false claims to insurance companies for drugs that were never dispensed. Sharim was a co-owner and controlled Century Discount Pharmacy, also in Reseda. Once Sharim received payments from the insurance companies, he paid Hayun for the false prescriptions. Trial evidence also showed that Hayun received 82 checks, totaling over $1.1 million. He also filed false federal tax returns that underreported by over $1.6 million in total the medical clinic's gross receipts and sales. Hayun provided co-conspirator Sharim with falsified prescriptions for drugs that had purportedly been authorized for patients by a physician of the MTP Medical Clinic. But this physician did not work at the MTP Medical Clinic, and these patients did not actually receive the drugs that had been purportedly prescribed. Many insurers were alleged to have been defrauded by this scheme, including Aetna, CVS Caremark, and Express Scripts. In order to disguise the payments, Hayun provided his co-conspirator Sharim with false invoices in the name of HDH Advertising for purported advertising services rendered to his co-conspirator. Sharim pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit health care fraud in November 2013, and he will be sentenced this December 5. Hayun faces a statutory maximum sentence of 38 years in federal prison, five years for the conspiracy count, and three years for each of 11 tax fraud counts. Sharim faces a maximum sentence of five years in federal prison. And in regulatory news, Governor Brown signed SB 1241, that's 1241, which limits employment contract restrictions on choice of law and forum. Generally, arbitrations provide an alternative method of dispute resolution outside of the courts. A neutral third party, known as the arbitrator, renders a decision after a hearing to which both parties have had an opportunity to be heard. But early in 2016, the Senate Judiciary Committee held an informational hearing on the topic of private or contractual arbitration agreements. In that hearing, many issues facing consumers and employees who are subjected to arbitration clauses contained in standardized take-it-or-leave-it or adhesive contracts were brought to light. A package of arbitration bills, of which this bill is one, arose out of the hearing, seeking to address various fairness issues surrounding the rules that govern arbitrations in this state. This new law targets issues of fairness surrounding choice of law and choice of forum clauses as a condition of non-negotiable consumer and employment contracts. 
and specifically the ability of a seller or employer to require a California consumer or employee to litigate or arbitrate their claims arising out of California in another state or pursuant to another state's laws. Generally speaking, California law does not currently prohibit companies or employers from requiring consumers or employees to agree to a non-California forum or to apply non-California law to resolve their disputes. This new law seeks to ensure that California consumers and employees cannot be forced to litigate or arbitrate their California-based claims outside of California under out-of-state laws as a condition of consumer or employment contracts. The law prohibits an employer from requiring an employee who primarily resides and works in California as a condition of employment to agree to a provision that would require the employee to adjudicate outside of California a claim arising in California or deprive the employee of a substantive protection of California law with respect to a controversy arising in California. The law also makes any provision of a contract that violates these prohibitions voidable upon request of the employee and would require a dispute over a voided provision to be adjudicated in California under California law. The law accepts from these provisions a contract with an employee who is individually represented by legal counsel. These provisions become newly added to Labor Code Section 925 on January 1. SB 1201 may have some effect on the adjudication of workers' compensation claims. Arbitration clauses and choice of law rules have been written into NFL player contracts and have been used to defend workers' compensation claims by these professional athletes. For example, Bruce Matthews played football in the National Football League from 1983 to 2002. On August 5, 2010, an arbitrator ruled that Matthews could pursue a workers' compensation claim in California, but that the claim must proceed under Tennessee law, if at all. A federal judge upheld the arbitration in the case of National Football League Players Association versus the NFL. It is likely that this new law will be tested against the strong federal policy favoring arbitration agreements. In California, the Controlled Substance Utilization Review and Evaluation System, the acronym for that is CURES, C-U-R-E-S, is an electronic tracking program that reports all pharmacy and prescriber dispensing of controlled drugs by drug name, quantity, prescriber, patient, and pharmacy. But the CURES database addresses only part of the problem. According to a 2013 federal survey, two-thirds of the people abusing pharmaceuticals had not been prescribed the drugs, so they would not have been listed in the CURES database. Nevertheless, CURES can help physicians and pharmacies identify those who are pill shopping from doctor to doctor while helping states track down doctors who are over-prescribing narcotics. When California lawmakers created the CURES database to fight prescription drug abuse years ago, they left out an important piece. Although pharmacists were required to list in the database any customers who received potentially dangerous and addictive drugs, doctors were not required to check those records before prescribing more pills. 
But next year, we will have new law that would finally require doctors to do what they should have been doing all along. After January 1, SB 482 will require a healthcare practitioner authorized to prescribe, order, administer, or furnish a controlled substance to consult the CURES database to review a patient's controlled substance history no earlier than 24 hours or the previous business day before prescribing a Schedule 2, Schedule 3, or Schedule 4 controlled substance to the patient for the first time and at least once every four months thereafter if the substance remains part of the treatment of the patient. Any healthcare practitioner who fails to consult the CURES database is required to be referred to the appropriate state professional licensing board for administrative sanctions. Until recently, only about 10% of those who can prescribe these drugs have even signed up to use CURES. The California Medical Association has resisted any mandate on its members to consult the database, arguing that the legislature should not meddle in the practice of medicine. And the group says Cures is not ready yet for the avalanche of queries that such a mandate would cause. The new law addresses the latter by delaying the requirement until the state certifies that the Cures database has been fully upgraded. As for the former concern, the bill imposes no restrictions on prescribing that state law does not already impose. It simply holds doctors and other prescribers responsible for checking cures when the potential for pill shopping is at its highest, for example, when a patient is prescribed a dangerous drug for the first time. Thus, it seems fair to assume that in the near future, workers' compensation claims administrators should expect to see confirmation from a claimant's PTP that the Cures database has been reviewed as required by law. Governor Brown vetoed a law supported by the state fund. This proposed law would have allowed the State Compensation Insurance Fund Board of Directors to appoint additional executive and management positions. The state fund sponsored SB 1451, claiming it would expand its ability to attract and retain staff with industry experience and specific expertise. The state fund said it needs the ability to compete with the private market for such talent to bolster capabilities throughout the organization. The purpose of the bill was to give the state fund board the flexibility to create additional exempt management positions allowing it the ability to avoid hiring costly and ultimately temporary consultants without having to come to the legislature to approve each new position. There was no opposition to the bill in the legislative record, and it was approved by both houses of the California legislature. However, Governor Brown vetoed the proposed law. In his veto message, he said... The bill grants the State Compensation Insurance Fund Board authority to appoint and set the salary for up to eight additional senior management positions. He agreed that under limited circumstances, it has been necessary for state agencies to have salary-setting authority for certain positions, but he was not convinced this authority was justified in this instance. 
The thorny issue of what defines an employee became a focus of a session on workers' compensation at the California Hispanic Chambers of Commerce Convention in Riverside. The issue matters because there is a high percentage of small businesses owned by Latinos in the state and an increasing number of independent contractors. The status of drivers for transportation provider Uber and some trucking companies has also been questioned. And Dora Padilla, a workers' compensation judge at the San Jose Workers' Compensation Appeals Board, was a panelist in the session. She said that she had five or six trials this year alone, all trucking companies, with the truck drivers allegedly employed as independent contractors. And she said in each case they turned out to be employees. A lot of the employers involved in the cases say their attorney or some insurance person was that the worker said the worker was an independent contractor, and so they did not purchase workers' comp insurance. According to Judge Padilla's presentation, a hirer is working with an independent con contractor when the hirer lacks control over detail, has no right to terminate the relationship, makes payments by contract price, does not furnish tools or materials, and does not have control over the working hours. Aon Global Risk Consulting released its biennial healthcare workers' compensation barometer report. The report explores trends in frequency, severity, and overall loss rates related to workers' compensation in the healthcare industry. The report analyzed data from approximately 1,600 healthcare facilities across the country. And the researchers concluded that next year healthcare systems will face a complex environment of emerging risks that will have a direct impact on workers' comp. While the severity of workers' compensation claims has been increasing at a rate of 2% annually, the frequency of claims is expected to decrease 1% annually. Thus, the industry should say, see, loss rates increase by a projected 1%. Historically, the healthcare industry has experienced little volatility in workers' compensation loss rates. However, an aging workforce, safe patient handling issues, and workplace violence are all emerging industry risks. Workers' compensation claim costs increase as healthcare workers age, with the majority of those claims resulting from injuries to the back and shoulders. 53% of working nurses, a demographic that is the most frequently injured, are at the age of 50. A likely consideration for controlling these types of claims in the future and helping to ensure a healthy and safe workforce is the key issue. While 58% of respondents have a program that develops younger workers, 61% do not have policies or programs that help transition older workers to a different work setting. Aon's report also provides statistical information on historical frequency, severity, and overall loss rates specific to 11 different states. Notably, the report finds that the loss rates in California are almost double the countrywide rate and that claim severity is nearly three times that of the countrywide average. 
An alarming number of survey respondents, 91%, have experienced workplace violence in the past three years. However, approximately half of the respondents indicate they are prepared for such an incident, with another 27% saying they are very prepared. 81% of the respondents have a formal workplace violence prevention policy in place. The DWC has added an easy-to-use search tool to help the public find independent bill review determinations quickly and efficiently. The IBR search tool is available on the DWC website. Over 5,100 IBR cases have been decided since the IBR program was implemented back in 2013. Information for each case is posted to the DWC website after each case is decided. The IBR tool is similar in structure to the IMR search tool. The public can search for the decisions on dates of application, receipt, and decision issuance case decisions and applicable fee schedules. The new search tool allows decisions to be searched by the applicable fee schedule in addition to other terms. The applicable fee schedule search option also breaks down the search into many subcategories. While the search option may help users to focus in on an informative decision, it is likely that a user would be looking for a match to an exact billing code or code set rather than a more general subcategory. Unfortunately, this new tool does not offer this more narrow functionality. Nonetheless, the tool may provide guidance to claim administrators and providers regarding the correct application of the official medical fee schedule as applied by the Maximus reviewers. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod, or an Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I am Renee Foles, an attorney with Lloyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And please drop by again next week for more news.